tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 129. Well, I think you guys already know how much I like talking to women who love Jesus. I mean, really, really love Jesus, who not only pursue His purposes, but passionately pursue His face. Well, in this episode of The Living Room, a previous guest, author Lisa Whittle, talks about the re-release of her book, I Want God. And oh, you guys, we go so many places that are so, so good. But each and every one of them come down to this. We need more of Jesus. And wouldn't you know it? He wants more of us. Well, it's an honor to have Lisa Whittle with us in the living room. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Well, I, I had you on the show, but when I saw this book come across my desk, I'm like, I, I've got to talk to this girl about this mm. thing. It's about the re- new edition of your book, I Want God. And oh, I think part of it is because it like just echoes the longing that I have in my heart, and also the longing that I'm hearing from people, the people of God, that we're like, ah, you know what? What I got is good, but I don't think it's enough. Can you talk about your journey with this whole topic? I'd love to. I, I could talk about this this book and w- really the way that it all came about all day long. Um, I wrote it over a decade ago because I was in a place of my own longing. I was in a place of really of desperation. I wanted things in my life. I wanted people to approve of me. I wanted, um, gosh, I wanted all kinds of things. I was a young mom wanting a career, wanting, you know, my writing to take off and, Wow, wanting all manner of things, wanting to wear a smaller size of jeans, wanting, (laughs) you know, wanting to not feel desperate all the time, wanting to get sleep, wanting to um, not make the same, same mistakes over and over again, wanting to um, not sin in the same way over and over again. And yet what I really wanted was to be free from wanting things like uh, the approval of man. And so it was all kind of jumbled up in there. And I just felt this sense of desperation. And out of that, you know, I just began to seek the Lord. And really, it was, it was all I knew to do, because I wanted to get better. And I knew from, you know, my college years, that searching for temporary solutions weren't going to work. I'm a practical person. So I thought, well, you know, I could go out and binge drink. I could go out and, you know, I could numb myself with TV and all of those kinds of things, but they're just going to be temporary. And so I remember that in my life, because I've been a believer since I was six years old, that the only thing in my life that has ever worked for me is to pursue the Lord more. And so I got on the carpet of my office floor and I just said, Lord, you can have every part of me and I won't, I won't hold back this time. And I think, you know, historically I would allow the Lord to have 
most of me, but I would always kind of keep a little bit to myself. The part that was the scariest, the part that was the most tender, the part that I really didn't want to deal with in that moment. And this time I just let him have it all. And I would, I said, I'll do whatever you want, even if it's popular, even if it's unpopular, even if it goes against what everyone tells you to pursue your career or whatever. And, um, so he told me some things to do and they just didn't make a whole lot of sense. They were things like, well, I want you to shut down your blog for 30 days. And I, at that time I had just released a new book into the world and that's not what you do when you release a book, you're supposed to promote it. And, you know, it was things like, I want you to ask your husband some hard questions that might really hurt your feelings. And there were just, you know, some tough things that I didn't want to do. And I just did them anyway. And it radically changed my life. And so I just felt that sense of desperation that I needed God. And through that, it created this desire for God. And in that process, it really changed everything. It changed everything. Oh, I love it. You know, I find myself just praying that just a, a, a phrase that you've used in the book, and that is, Lord, please set me free of lesser things. Let, mm -hmm. You know, and that whole idea that, you know, even though our hearts are after God, they're prone to wander. They're mm -hmm. prone to kind of get so sucked in. And I think especially in the age in which we live, there's so many distractions. And I, I love one of the things, concepts that you talk about is the difference between needing God and wanting God. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yes. I mean, this, this has been an important thing for me to learn because, you know, I think a lot of us, myself included, have the concept down of needing God, right? You know, certainly if we have been a part of church, we've been a part of singing a lot of songs about, I need you, God. Oh, I need you. And I think we don't struggle with the concept of knowing that we need God. Many of us as believers, we know it cognitively. Mm -hmm. And probably a lot of us have come to the place in our life where we have been at a stalemate with life and we have realized, oh, I need God in this situation. So we've prayed and said, you know, God, I need you. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make this decision. I don't know how to help my prodigal child. I don't know how to fix my marriage. I have a health diagnosis. I need you, God. And so I think, I think needing God, even the idea, at least the idea has come more easy for us, but it's very different from wanting God. And here's why this is so important because need is not enough. Need is something that a lot of us cognitively can know, but it doesn't really change anything. I mean, here, here's the case in point, Joanna. I know that I need to have better health, but that doesn't mean that I will do anything about it. I, I might, I might go years and not move my body in the way I need to or, or, you know, cut my sugar intake or whatever it is. Need doesn't compel me to do that. Or I need to have a better relationship with this person over here. I need to reconcile with them, but I don't want to do the work that it requires. 
or I need to work on my relationship with the Lord, but I don't want to be disciplined enough to read the Bible every day. So need won't compel you to do what you need to do. The only thing that will is desire. Hmm. Want changes everything. And so when we want God, there is no limit to what we will do for the kingdom of God because desire drives everything. And God has put within us the de- this desire component, and it's the desire to ultimately desire Him. Yeah, We don't talk about it in the church, but it's hugely important. And so there's a big difference between need and desire. And what I believe is that desire and need has to come together, and that's when revival will happen in our soul. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us have known we've needed God, but we don't want God, and that's why nothing ever changes in our spiritual life. Yeah. Yeah. I've found myself saying, Lord, heal my wanter, <laughs> you know, because yes. I think that that's the challenge. Like with with my spirit woman, I fully want the Lord. And with my flesh woman, I can see the need. But trying to get from that place where it's not just, I need you to fix me. I need you to change me so that I can feel better about myself to really that soul deep desire for relationship and closeness. And I think sometimes we don't understand that everything fights against that, especially the enemy of our soul. And I don't know about you, but even my flesh. My flesh wants the good things God can give, but I don't always want God like I need to. So what do we do? How do we get from that place of need to really wanting Him? Well, it's a good question. You know, Flannery O'Connor, a novelist, Flannery O'Connor once said, God is feeding me and what I'm praying for is an appetite. I think, first of all, that, you know, God loves us and he understands our um, weakness and our humanness. And so I believe that our desire to desire him is a good place to start. Yeah. So if you're saying today, "I I want to want him. I think that's a great step one. And so he will meet you in that weakness. I think there's a couple things that happen. I think, first of all, even understanding the concept that that it's not about need, that it is about desire. You know, some of us have never even addressed that. Some of us have never even gone to that place. I think, um, you know, one of the problems has been that culture has hijacked the whole desire conversation. And so because of that, we don't really talk about it as the church. We think desire has everything to do just with sex, right? So we don't even realize that, you know, in John 1, which is just a, a hugely important passage when you think about this idea of of desire, Jesus himself asked the question, what do you want? And the original translation is, what seek ye? What are you looking for? This also ties into the to the the whole um, seek ye first the kingdom of God verse in the New Testament. And it is all about um, what we want, this, the desire of our heart, what we're looking for. And so I think it's very important that we we just even look at this in our own life without shame, without guilt, and say, what am I desiring? So we understand, am I off mission? Do I want God? And so I think that's, you know, the intentionality of wanting to want God is a very good first step. Telling the Lord, hey, I, I'm not there right now, being honest, but I want to. My heart is desiring this. 
then asking ourselves very, very honestly, what am I wanting right now? And looking at the things that perhaps are getting in the way, because what happens, Joanna, is that we settle for lesser desires. And so the reason why we don't really want God is simply because we've let lesser satisfiers become enough for us, which I talk about all of those in the book. And so I really think that'll help people understand what they're settling for. Um, but if you think about it, you know, you might really be hungry for a steak. But if you go into the kitchen and you grab some club crackers that you're want to, you want to be tidied over till dinner, if you eat enough of those, you know, I eat 20 club crackers. I'm like, I don't really want a steak anymore. You know, I'm not that hungry anymore. And so I think it's really important that we pinpoint what we're really hungry for. Mm. Because sometimes the things the things we think we desire aren't really it, but we've just we've settled for a snack. Yeah, yeah. My pastor's wife, uh, when we were young associates, called it spiritual snicker bars. Mm. You know that it's those empty things. And I was thinking as you were talking, one of the things that I think we do, just like you said, and I love how you kind of broken up the book and talked about our desire for comfort, for control, for popularity, for blessing thinking that that's the things that are going to satisfy us. But when you, I I don't know about you, Lisa, but when I do get those things, it's great for a moment. Sure. But it really doesn't satisfy. And I think of Jesus's words to the Samaritan woman, you know, I'm asking you for water, but if you only knew who I was, Mm -hmm. I'd give you water that really satisfies to the place that you won't you won't thirst again. And yet I think you're right. We can so fill up on those spiritual counterfeits or, you know, space holders. Mm -hmm. And I think of that word buffering, you know, we buffer our desire with lesser things. So we never allow ourselves to actually get to that place of desperation. And I was there just like you described. It was desperation. My way of living had not done the trick that brought me to that place of full surrender. And I think we, we, especially in American Christianity, we work so hard not to get there, not right. to get there. I, I was really fascinated on your take on comfort because, okay, let's just not say fascinated. I was really convicted. <laughs> 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 just how my desire for ease, uh, my desire for things to go my way, comfort. I'd love to have you unpack that for us. Well, look, I mean, that 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 was convicting for me. I, I we only write what we what we are experiencing, right? Comfort has been a theme of my entire life. How can I make my bed the most comfortable bed that anyone has ever slept on in their life? How can I, you know, be in the most comfort controlled home temperature-wise? How can I have the most comfortable relationships? we all love comfort. I I would dare say that every person has at least a low hum of desiring comfort in their life in some way. Who wants to be uncomfortable? It's just not, there's reason why there's, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry to make the most comfortable bras and shoes and everything. We all want to be comfortable. That's, that's the point I think of most of our lives. But the reality is that comfort really steals the life out from under us 
while it's presenting as a best friend. And that's what I came to realize. I tell, you know, some, a funny story in there about going snow tubing with my family and how my desire and my goal was to pack clothes for us as a family when my kids were younger to go to this trip, snow tubing in the mountains to where none of us would be cold because I didn't want to be cold. I want to be comfortable. So here's my motivation. I want us to go out there. I mean, it's kind of crazy when I, when I say it out loud, but it seemed to make sense to me at the time. Let's go out there. Let's enjoy snow tubing, but let's all be warm. So we have like these internal heaters going on while we're out in this swirling snow. It's going to be freezing out there, but we're all going to be comfortable. And I realized when I got out there and my son went to throw a snowball at me and I literally could not take a step to escape the snowball (laughs) that I had rendered myself immobile by all of the clothes that I Mm. packed to make myself comfortable. And I thought, well, isn't this something? This is what comfort does to us. It presents as our best friend. Oh, let me just make you the most comfortable you can possibly be. But in the process, you immobilize yourself. And so what I really wanted out on that day with the family out at snow tubing was to have fun and was to, you know, be free and enjoy myself. But I had settled for this sort of lesser um, joy, which was comfort. And Mm -hmm. so that's when I started thinking, well, the, the principle of the greater desire is to forego this sort of lesser comfort for the thing that I really want most, which is to have fun with my family. And so I think that's where we have to be with comfort. It's, it's one of those things that we're constantly going to have to process and fight through in a way, because most of the things that are good for us in the end and that are, that are profitable in the kingdom of God are not going to bring us comfort. Yeah. But they are going to be important. And so we have to say, what do I want more? What do I want most? Well, I want to live for the kingdom of God. I want to I want the the passion and the joy and the peace that God can bring me. I want God. And oftentimes comfort is going to be at odds with that kind of a lifestyle. Yeah. Especially our definition of comfort. Right. The thing I love about how you kind of set this whole book up is, you know, talking about letting go of our need or our want for comfort, but then learning how to accept the comfort that God provides. And you do that with all of these. I want you to talk about that because I do, do you think we still hear the hiss of Satan saying, God doesn't have your best in mind. You can't really trust him. And yet the comfort that really comforts is only found in him. Well, it's only, it's the only lasting comfort. I mean, we've been talking about the temporary satisfiers. The thing about this is, is for human beings, it's a hard sell to forego temp- anything temporary. It's going to always be a hard sell. And I realize that. But the reality is the lasting comfort that, that God brings is the kind of comfort that satisfies us deep into the night when all of the temporary comforts aren't enough, when the pillow is not soft enough, when the bed is not warm enough, when we have tried to numb ourselves in all the comfortable ways when the sex wears off, when all of it, I mean, let's just get real and honest about all the ways that we try to make comfort be the God of our life. 
And it, it really is true and it's intangible and it doesn't make sense on paper, but it is the reality that the pursuit of Christ is not the risk. The risk Mm. is the, the, the non-pursuit of Christ. And so I think, you know, it's a leap. It's a leap for us. But all I know is I go back to that place, what I was just talking about when the only thing in my life, and I'm, I'm a pragmatist at heart, I, I boil it down to the bottom line in nearly every situation. And I know that the only thing in my life that has ever helped me get better is to pursue Christ harder, is to pursue Him more. Uh, and so I know that in my life and in the days to come that will likely be darker in this world and we don't know what is around the corner. What I do know is that Christ will be the only comfort that will be enough. He will be the only comfort, no matter what the circumstance or situation that we can't see around the corner to know. And so we can reach for the temporary comforts. We have that freedom at this point to be able to do that. But I know that they won't be enough. And in some surprising way that only God knows how he can be enough, he is. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that's so beautiful. I think sometimes he's allowed us this life and even the blessings of life because he does want to bless us, but he lets them not fully satisfy because our hearts were made for him. That's that's what we were made for. You know, you talk a lot about revival in the book. And one of the, your journeys in writing the book was to go back and go, okay, what did, what did those people do and what did it look like? Because I do believe God's wanting to do something deeper and sweeter than we've ever known. And if we just settle for what we have, and that's why I kind of love that he's making, kind of stirring the nest and making us dissatisfied because it's always because he has something more. What did you learn from those revivals? Mm, I loved looking into the revivals. You know, um, it was interesting because uh, as I needed my own personal reviving, that's when the the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and say, research revivals. And I thought, well, this is odd. I've never done this before. So of course I went to Google and immediately began to look and really happened upon the Welsh revival of the early 1900s. It was the first one I sort of um, began to research, and it just began to blow me away what I began to to find. And several things um, stood out to me. One was that an early revivalist, Evan Roberts, um, sort of just broke the status quo of you know, how he would show up. I mean, it was what was interesting to me, and it's especially appropriate to now. You know, remember, I wrote this over a decade ago, but what is impactful for now is it's very similar to how we love popular speakers. And Evan Roberts at the time was a very popular revivalist. So he would show up. I mean, this is early 1900s. Remember, he would people would come from far away to hear him speak. But he would show up, and if the Spirit would lead him to not say a word, he would not preach. He would simply mm. sit. He would pray. And it just it just says something to me that he didn't care. 
about who was coming to hear him. He didn't care if he was the the popular person on the ticket. He would simply say, I'm not going to disrupt what the spirit is doing here. Mm -hmm. And what would happen today if popular speakers would do that? Mm -hmm. I mean, could that even happen today? But that's what needs to happen if we want to experience true revival and not disrupt the Holy Spirit and get in the way of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. Um, And so, and he would also would get up in the middle of the night and pray from one o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the morning. Evan Roberts was dedicated to prayer, which is always a benchmark of the revival. Over a hundred thousand people were saved in that revival. Bars were shut down because no one was showing up to, to, to even patronize them. Um, and they would, uh, you know, brothels were closed down. Stadiums were closed down because the players wouldn't show up to, to play. And one of the biggest things that marked me was a woman named Flory Evans, who was a teenage girl, and she had just been saved, according to all reports. She had just been saved, was very naive to the rules of the pew, didn't know that this kind of wasn't what you do in church. And she showed up, and she stood up in church, and she said seven words that really changed everything. She said, I love Jesus with all my heart. And uh, revival broke out in that space. And um, I was just moved by what I heard. And you know what really marked me in that, Joanna, was I, I, I remember reading about all that. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, that God of that corporate revival is the same God, hmm. the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. Yes. There's no different. And so if if he did that, he can do that inside me. And yes. that's what really just marked me. And I thought, I want that. I want that same thing to happen inside of me. And I asked the Lord for that same outpouring inside of my soul. And um, and it marked me in a profound way. Praise God. I've just I've just been asking the Lord, I I want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. I I want to be that one that you lean on at the Last Supper. I want it. I want to have that intimacy intimacy with you. But there's gonna have to be the surrender of the lesser things, not because God's out to ruin us, but because God wants to set us free of all the peripheral. And I love that you talk about you know letting go of comfort, letting go of control, which you know that could be a whole little uh, (laughs) episode. But you talk about popularity, and I think especially in our day and age, where it isn't just it isn't just the people on the stage, but but that whole influencer culture where it, we really are all influencers, but we can get caught up kind of in the surface and never really go deep with the Lord. I'm really interested as an author to author, speaker to speaker, your journey of um, you know being brought to the end of yourself as a speaker and author and going, God, I just want you. Yes. Um, what would you say to those of us who say, you know what, I really just want to be, I want to be used by God, but oh, the flesh just creeps up around the call. You know, this, Joanne, I'm, I'm so glad you were talking about this. This was the one thing that out of all of the things changed for me the most when God changed my life when I wrote this book over a decade ago. And the book was just a culmination of what he did in my heart. Um, the chains fell off of me in this area of popularity. And, you know, it's funny when when people hear that word, 
and they see that chapter, you know, I think some people feel like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I don't want to be popular because that feels like a high school term. But, you know, you can call it what you want. It's it's the approval of man. It's the people pleasing. And I think people, women especially, more relate to that those terms. And that's that's really what it is. But you're right. We are all influencers. This influencer culture has gotten to every single one of us. Social media has gotten to all of us. I was at a position and a point uh, 12 years ago when I wrote this that I was a younger author. I greatly desired to um, be propelled in in my career, and I was at a place where I felt somewhat unseen and felt like, you know, I was writing things that mattered, but I wasn't in the most popular group and just asking the Lord, why are you not propelling me in some way in this sort of group? And, and I want to be known and I want to sell books and all of those things that comes along with this weird publishing world. Um, not unlike the music industry, not unlike, you know, mo- the movie industry, it's, it's a creative venue and it's, it, you know, even Christian publishing, you're not immune to this. And so I was at that place and I remember one of my, that, that longing, um, just feeling like I wanted that. And what I realized that was so powerful for me was that I didn't really actually want that at the end of the day. What I wanted more than that was to be free from wanting that. Mm. I wanted to be free from the yoke of even wanting it. And I couldn't do it myself. I just couldn't do it myself. It was too strong of a pull. It was, there was too much of my own flesh and my own, you know, type A desire to, to succeed and all of that in there. And um, there's nothing wrong with working hard or there's nothing wrong with wanting those things, but it had just gotten so jumbled in there. And I just wanted to be free from all of it. I wanted to write for the right reasons. I wanted to preach for the right reasons. I wanted to, you know, give messages, whether anybody ever responded to them or not. And I thought, I can't be free from this unless God does it. And I realized that the pursuit of him and wanting him would drive a purity for mm. messages. And in that, um, if I failed, if I succeeded, if I got more contracts, if I never went forward as an author, if I never was in an in crowd, if I got followers, if I didn't, it wouldn't matter. And the Lord w- himself was the one that broke that yoke off of me. And mm. it was only in a pursuit of him that that ever happened. And again, it changed my entire life. And I will tell you that I have, it's not that I've never had a moment of struggle since then, but I've never wrestled with it the same since. Hmm. Wow. Praise the Lord. So what do you think? Was it partly shutting down the blog, shutting down some of the stuff that you were doing that gave you that space to get to that place? I think it was the initial, Lord, you can have it all. I think it was that surrender of everything um, and not holding anything back and no qualifications and no, you know, well, I'll do this, but I won't do this. 
um, I, I talk about this in the book. I say, you know, anytime you say, um, you know, any anything God, but you mean anything but this God, uh, is when you have problems. And I had always, until that time, looking back, I'd always said anything but this God in some way. Um, and I think, you know, letting the Lord examine every part, going to the hardest parts. You know, I, I tell a story in the book about even uh, asking my husband at one point, the Lord had revealed to me that I was selfish. And I remember going to my husband because I, I wanted a second opinion. You know, the Lord tells you something <laughs> and you want a second opinion. So yeah, I went to my husband. I don't know how smart that was. And um, and I asked him, I said, do you think I'm selfish? And it was one of those times, you know, my husband and I have had plenty of fights in 28 years. At the time, I think we'd been married 12 or I don't remember. Anyway, and I I said to him, you know, do you think I'm selfish? And he, in a very humble way, confirmed that he he did think I was selfish. And it, it's those moments where, you know, I think I've had so many opportunities to humble myself to my husband and humble myself to the Lord, and I haven't done it. And those just buildups of pride you know, we don't think there's a correlation even to, Mm -hmm. you know, the pride that we feel even in, you know, being an author or, you know, wanting to be popular or whatever, but that all, it's all fruit of the spirit stuff. It's all, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, things in our own life, character stuff. And so I think, yes, I think it's letting the Lord have every single part of you and it's repenting and it's, it's, it's being willing to look at every single thing that isn't of him and and really honestly being willing to lose anything yeah i think it's important to be able to be willing to lose anything because the truth about it is i love being an author and i think it's awesome but it's not who i am you right. know i mean i'm i'm even still doing this currently you know, my podcast is very beloved to me. We're having, we've had explosive growth with it and it's, it's a wonderful thing, but the Lord has asked me to lay it down for a time. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a continual process. It's not a one and done. It's a continual process of things that have become too beloved or too important that I think helps us stay in the, in the pocket with the Lord of, wanting him more than we want things that even um, provide the success and approval that we crave. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I really think that you've nailed it, Lisa, you know, and it's going to be different for every single one of us. So we have to be really tender to the Lord's leading because he's, uh, you know, one of the things that you have us do in the book is, you know, 40 days fasts of fast, little mini fasts of things that we can release to the Lord to receive more of Him. And so it comes down to a really practical level, but there there have been those key moments where God has put His finger on something and even something good and and said, will you give me that? You know, laying down our Isaacs, being willing, that dream of significance, that dream of influence to go, mm, I still want you more. And I think I think that's such a powerful thing because, you know, I, I think of um, it was God's words to Abraham who sent an angel to stop the knife going down into Isaac's chest. Now I know, now I know that you fear me, you honor me more. And 
are we willing? And that's where it gets really mucky. And we've got to be willing to look at our flesh and go, what's that pushback, Joanna? Why aren't you willing to give that thing? Because usually when there's a pushback, it's a wonderful indication that this is an invitation yes. to, to go deeper with the Lord. Yes. How do we how do we navigate? For that girl out there who's going, okay, you guys are talking about a level of intimacy and cultivating um, closeness to the Lord that I want. And you're even talking about stuff that I think I I it's resonating, but where do I even start to want more of God? Hmm. Well, I do think it is that prayer of intention where you say to the Lord, God, I want to want you, but I'm not there yet. Um, I pray for an appetite. Will you help me desire you more? Um, And I, I just believe that that is a prayer that God would honor 10 out of 10 times. And so, you know, I, I think you start there. Um, I also think that you, you know, you take a look at your life and say, you know, is this something that is temporarily filling me? Am I snacking here? Mm. And that's, you know, making me feel in some way full uh, when I can have the real thing. And, you know, these, this is hard because we, we enjoy, uh, you know, certain, certain comforts, certain things we've grown accustomed to. And, you know, I, I I think that there are plenty of things that we can do on a daily basis that, that the Lord is fine with, you know, it's not like we stop, you know, we, we don't have any TVs in our house and we don't have our phones ever. And we, you know, don't, go out to eat and we, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. But I think if we really vet our lives, we can see where, when we've been in moments that we have felt something that was an ache inside of our soul, where we really could have turned to the Lord, but we turned to something else instead. It's an indicator that um, the desire that was welling up we satisfied it in a lesser way. You know, this is one of the, one of the things that I talk about in a a later book, but I I nod to it in, in I want God is how I began to get in a a habit of shopping. And I realized what was going on was every time I sort of started feeling something like, you know, some type of angst inside that, I felt a a desire to shop and I would, you know, go, I don't know, to Marshall's or something and I'd buy a new shirt and it was just fun for me. It was an outlet. And is there anything wrong with going to Marshall's and buying a shirt? Really not, you know, not on the surface. But what I realized was there was a correlation here. It was like every time I felt like this thing well up within me, this desire to shop took over and so I finally took a hard look at it and realized I don't really want a new shirt. It's not really about a shirt. Mm. It's about what I'm feeling inside my bones. And so I think take a look at where your desires are and what you might be doing to fulfill them temporarily. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Because even, you know, good things can become small G God things. And, Absolutely. That's and that's right. that's co- sort of been one of the things God's used for me when he's 
to point out, okay, there could be an issue is those things that I can't stop doing. Yeah. Because it's my escapism. It's my drug of choice, quote unquote. And so for me, I, you know, I, I just love that you bring up that whole idea of going on a fast. Um, the Lord showed me that Christian fiction had become my little escape route. And mm-hmm. um, so I laid it down for 30 days, which turned into a year of such sweetness with the Lord when I stopped almost like self-medicating and just turned that desire towards the Lord. Oh my goodness, there is so much we could talk about. Any any last thoughts before? I, I'd love to have you close in prayer. I'd love to do that. I, you know, I really believe that the Lord is calling us to a place of um, what well, really calling us to his heart. And yeah. um, I think, you know, we often look out and say, all oh, this land needs revival. The nation needs revival. But what we need revival in is our own hearts. And, um, you know, I, I would love for your listeners to, they can even read a, a, a free sample chapter. They can listen to a free sample chapter. It's on my podcast of chapter one. And I think if they will hear that, if they will read that, that free chapter, that that they'll be interested in, in reading and hearing more because um, the things in this book can really help them. And so I, I hope they'll, I hope they'll participate in that um, and really, really think about their first love, because it is the greatest love story they'll ever live. It's not with their spouse. It's not with their kids. It's not with their grandkids. But the greatest love story you'll ever live is with Jesus Christ, the great lover of your soul. And, and, um, and it's, it's going to be real important that we remember who he is in these dark times. So I'm happy to pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. I thank you for um, your, your, folks that that are listening here today and I'm just grateful for who you are and I'm thankful that you continually draw us back to your heart and I'm thankful that you give us an opportunity to renew our hearts and so I just pray that we would want you God even if today that that desire is not there that we are in a place of stagnancy that we are in a place of desperation wherever uh, we are today, Lord. I thank you that you know us and that you love us and that you see us and that you care for us tenderly. And so I pray that we would reach out to you, everyone listening, um, that they would just reach you, uh, reach out to you and God, that they would share their heart. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would um, just meet us exactly where we are and um, in a very powerful way that you would breathe life into the dead places and uh, Father, that we would would live for you in a re- very powerful and renewed way. And so I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for this time together. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I hope your soul was stirred by this conversation to want more of the Lord than you ever have before. And that where you don't actually want him like you need to, that you'll just ask, oh, Lord, heal my wanter. You can learn more about Lisa and get links to her books, as well as listen to our previous interview down in the show notes. But most of all, I really pray that you'll take time today to spend a few minutes with Jesus. If you're like me, sometimes I listen to a podcast and my heart is really stirred. But if I'm driving or doing housework, I don't often take time to really respond to the Lord. I want to encourage you, if 
God has spurred some thoughts during this conversation, maybe go back and re-listen to that section and then take time to jot them down in your journal or record them on the Note app on your phone. Whatever you do, respond to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Because you guys, that's how we increase our hunger for God. Because the more time we spend with Jesus, the more of Him we want. Hey, if you guys enjoyed listening to the Living Room Podcast, I hope you'll take time to leave a rating and a review. But did you know that I often post the video version of my interviews over at YouTube? There's a whole playlist of interviews just like this one waiting for you there. It's really my prayer that this podcast and my YouTube channel helps cultivate that deeper longing for Jesus, but that it also satisfies the hunger in your soul as the Holy Spirit speaks directly to your heart specific messages that are meant only for you. Because when He speaks and we take time to listen, well, that's where transformation begins to happen. Not only passionately pursuing Him with all our heart, but actively living and loving and leading like Jesus. And all of it flowing from one beautiful reality. We want God.